Amen, amen. Hey, well, you can have a seat. You guys can come on down closer to the front if you want to. Up to you, though. How you guys doing? Good. Good? Yeah? Okay. Awesome. That's the most responsive I've ever heard. That is awesome. It's going to be a good night. I love it. So cool. Hey, well, not this weekend, but next weekend, we have World Mandate coming up. World Mandate is going to be October 21st through 23rd. So that starts not this Friday, uh, but next Friday. And really the way that we usually pitch it is that it's a missions conference that we do once a year. And the way I want to reframe it tonight is that it's not just another missions conference, um, but it's a time that we give to the Lord. It's a weekend that we give to the Lord as this church body, as Antioch Phoenix, where we come together as the people of God and we seek what's on his heart of what he wants to do in and through us. We see in in the book of Acts, time and time again, the people of God um, coming together for a time to worship the Lord and to seek his heart, to seek what his will is, the wisdom that he wants to give. And then we see him come and move. And we see him come and bring this powerful time of encounter where he not only changes them on the inside, but he also empowers them to then go and share what's been changed in them to the world around them. And and that's what this time of World Mandate is. Yes, there's awesome speakers. Yes, there's awesome teachers. But it's also just a time where God is there, where he moves. It's a time that's set apart, that's been prayed into all year long where we would come together and we would seek his heart and see what's on his heart and to put on our hearts and then go share with the world around us. And maybe you'll be sent to the nations, which would be awesome, but maybe it's just a change of perspective that he wants to give you as well, that you're sent ones right where you are, that you're sent ones in your school, you're sent ones at your work, that you're called to his purposes and to change the lives around you through his power in you. So, If you haven't signed up for World Mandate yet, go ahead and do that. Um, It is $40 to sign up for college students, and we're not making any money off of it whatsoever, and that's actually a cheaper rate than we give other people. Um, But if you still can't swing that, there is a $15 discount um, if you serve in kids for one session. Yeah, there we go. Yes, and (laughs) we can help you guys um, navigate how to do that, how to get the discount um, but if you want to sign up, you can sign up on our website. Um, there should be a link to it on our Instagram page, or there is a sign-up um, iPad in the back after the service. Um, so don't get, forget to sign up for World Mandate. Awesome. Okay, hey, tonight we are continuing in a series called Anchored In. Uh, my wife kicked it off last week by talking about the voice of God, um, and I heard she crushed it and brought the house down. An amazing job. Yeah. Heard nothing but good things about it, so I have the privilege of trying to follow that tonight. So if you think of it, pray for me. Um, but in all seriousness, I really do care about tonight's message. I, I never want these awakens to be just this performance or this place where we come and we're entertained. You know, the messages, and um, they're tailored in a way where you kind of get what you want to hear, and you get 40 to 50 minutes of a message that's somewhat convicting, but not too challenging. And um, hopefully it's somewhat funny and filled with lots of stories. Uh, you're engaged throughout uh, the whole time. You can relate to the speaker. You know what I'm talking about, the like common Western church thing, right? And none of that's bad or wrong in and of itself, but it is if we're missing the point. Uh, in 2004, in the 2004 Olympics, there was a guy named Matt Emmons who was competing in the 50-meter rifle competition, and he was on his final shot. He was way ahead of all the other competitors to this point where all he had to do was get a shot on his target in the middle of the ring. And he goes to take his final shot, and he hits it perfectly, Bullseye, right? Expecting to secure the gold. But the only problem was that he hit the wrong target. And he dropped from first to eighth place. It was the right shot. It was great form, but it was the wrong target. That's my concern for us. I don't want us to miss it. I believe a whole lot in you guys. We have a, as a college staff, we believe a whole lot in you guys. Like your desire to follow Jesus, it blows us away and it's contagious. And as one of your pastors, like I take that with great responsibility. I never wanna just do things like awaken, life group, conferences and events and for them to become something that they're not supposed to be. I never want them to become the target instead of what the actual target is, which is to follow Jesus. 
right? Like all of those things can be good, but if we end up making it about doing those things as if we're earning some kind of special favor from God, then we're missing it. Then we're missing him. We're missing Jesus, which on one end, that's really scary, right? And on another end, it's, it's really sad because he's worthy, but also because we're missing out. We're missing out on the life that he actually invites us into. When, when Jesus invites us to follow him, he's inviting us into what he calls in John 10, 10, life and life to the full or life abundant. And I really feel like Paul unpacks this really well in Colossians chapter two, verses nine through 11. Um, so we're gonna jump right into that tonight. So go ahead and turn there with me. Um, we're gonna be in lots of different scriptures tonight. So if you have your Bibles with you, I recommend that you take them out and you jump right in with us in Colossians chapter two. Um, and Colossians is just a letter that's written by Paul to the church in Colossae. And in chapter two, starting in verse nine, he says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. This is the invitation of following Jesus. Paul is showing us the target that we wanna hit, where we are continually filled with the knowledge of God's will through his wisdom, so that we can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, where we can grow in knowledge of God. And in other translations, they say we get to know him better and better. That's what he wants, right? It's for us to know him better and better. And then I love this part. Uh, we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's the life we're called to live. But how do we get there? How do we make sure that we're hitting this target? And if this is the target that we're aiming for, what's the lens that we need to make sure we're aiming through to get there? So there's this author, this Christian author, Skylar Jathani, and um, he describes four different ways in which we hit the wrong target and we live a life different than the one that God intended for us. Um, the first way is what he calls life from God. Uh, so this is where we live a life where we want God's blessings, um, his gifts, but not necessarily God himself. Uh, so you can think of like a successful businessman um, who uses God as just this good luck charm, right, to bless his business. Or maybe more relatable, you can think of like a big man on campus who's interested in God as long as he makes him popular. Or the second way is what he calls life over God. This is basically where we try to control God through formulas and systems. And so for this one, you can think the busy ministry leader who has the perfect discipleship formula, or you can think about all the Christian self-help books out there where there's 12 steps to being a better Christian, but really it's to being a better you. And the third way is what he calls a life for God. Uh, this is where you live a life to serve God and earn your significance in his eyes by doing things for him. And they're good things, really. There's nothing wrong, right, with living out our calling for God. Just when it's done trying to earn his approval, then we end up missing him in the process. And the fourth way is called life under God, which is similar to a life for God, but it's more so based on like trying to um, earn favor from him by obeying his commands, right? Trying to get things that you want from him by obeying his commands. Kind of like the older brother that we talked about at the beginning of, um, of the school year where uh, there's the prodigal older brother who's working as a slave for God and trying to leverage good works for blessing. But the point is that all of these ways are ways in which we look through the wrong lens and end up missing the target and missing the life that God intended us to have. But maybe you're like me and you can recognize yourself in a lot of these. And maybe it's not all the time, but you find yourself drifting back into these from time to time, drifting back into what's most comfortable, what's most familiar, what's least costly. We often drift back to where we have the most control because that's what we crave just like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? The temptation was to eat the forbidden fruit so they didn't have to depend on God but could be in control of their own lives. And the problem is that control is only an illusion. 
an illusion that takes us further and, away from, further and further away from God and where we miss out on the real thing. It's like going on a hike in the mountains of Colorado or the Pacific Northwest, and then someone offers to take you on a hike here, so they take you to Piestua or Camelback, and you're like, oh, you, you call these mountains. Or when you go to Disneyland and have the time of your life, because it's Disneyland. But then you go to Universal the next day, and you're like, oh, this is not what I hoped for. Or you're craving Panera, but you live on West Campus, so you take the two-hour trek across the world to the rivers, and $14 later, you're like, oh, right? <laughs> My point is, how do we not settle for second best? How do we not settle for the illusion, but how do we stay anchored in and live the life that Jesus offers us and not drift back to second best over and over again? How do we make sure we're actually hitting the right target? What's the life that Jesus has actually called us to live? If it's not a life over God, under God, from God, or for God, then what is it? Well, what if it's a life predicated and rooted in the message of the gospel itself? A life where God wants to be in relationship with us. And in order to get us back and restore that relationship, he didn't give us a bunch of rules to follow so we can live under him. He didn't give us a bunch of formulas so we could try to figure him out and live over him. He didn't give us a bunch of tasks to accomplish and so on and so forth. But he gave us himself. He came and he dwelt among us, right? He left his throne to be with us because that's the very life he designed for us to live all along. Life and life abundant, one that's worthy of him, where we're bearing fruit and being strengthened by his power is a life that's lived with God because that's what he desires. Um, in Mark chapter three, we're gonna take a look at this real quick. So turn with me to Mark three, verses 13 through 15. Um, Jesus is about to appoint his 12 apostles. And then I want us to take notice of something as we read it. So Mark three, starting in verse 13. Uh, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to, them, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So even with the 12 that Jesus was entrusting to take the gospel into all the earth, his first and primary call to them wasn't to go and preach and to drive out demons. It was to come and be with him. That was the priority before anything else. That was his strategy to change the world. Come and be with me. Let me not just tell you how to live your life, but come and live it with me. All of you have calling and destiny for your lives, right? There's things that God has for you in the future that he can't even tell you right now because you'd either get too big of a head about it or the weight of it would crush you. But before any of that, even the things that you're called to right now, right? Like work, school, um, life leading, RA, student leadership, all of it, your primary call is to be with him. It's not to do all these things for him so that he'll finally approve of you and then he'll want to be with you. He wants to be with you now. And he also wants to change the world through you now. He just wants to do it. He just wants you to do it with him and not just because of him. And the sobering thing is that if we end up doing things because of him or for him without doing it with him, then oftentimes we end up doing it our own way and we end up doing it instead of him. So we're gonna take a look at this in John 15. You can turn there with me. This passage of scripture, um, John 15, would be right in the middle of what's called the farewell discourse. And so this is right after the Last Supper and the night before Jesus' crucifixion. He's giving his farewell words to, his, to 11 of his disciples because, you know, Jesus went and did his thing. And up until this point, these disciples like Peter, Matthew, John, have all lived life with Jesus. We see accounts all throughout the gospels of him coming to them and saying, follow me. Coming to fishermen and to tax collectors and, leave, and saying, leave life as you know it and instead follow me. And at first it was just to them, but then he starts to open that invitation to others. And he says things like, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So rabbis of the day had teachings or, or sets of rules to live by that they would have called yokes. So they were commands um, in the Torah, or there were commands in the Torah, but there was all kinds of rules or, or different ways and interpretations of actually carrying them out. Like, what does it actually mean to keep the Sabbath holy? So, so maybe one rabbi would say something like, um, you can walk as much as you want on the Sabbath, but another would say you can only actually walk half that amount, um, or another would say you can walk three times that amount. Uh, but needless to say, uh, this kind of way of life would have been pretty burdensome. Uh, but Jesus has taught his disciples a completely different way of life. Uh, one that wasn't a bunch of, of rules or do's and don'ts that led to feeling heavy and burdened all the time, but one where the commands their rabbi gave led to rest. And one where the rabbi was gentle and he was in it with them. So now in John 15, he's telling his disciples who have learned this way of life that we're talking about, one that, and where the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And he's saying, guys, I, I gotta leave now. I, I gotta go do that thing I've been talking about, you know, where I defeat sin and death and I'm murdered on a cross, you know, the, like the classic Jesus stuff. But, but he leaves them with this. Pick up with me in verse one of John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's many examples and illustrations that Jesus uses to express our necessity to be in intimate relationship with God. A shepherd and his sheep, a father and his son, but to use the language of a vine, he's doing something here that I don't want us to miss. There are times when a son is without his father or a sheep is away from his shepherd, but a branch must be in constant connection with the vine, right? Without it, it simply, it won't make it. So he's like, guys, I'm leaving, but you've got to abide in me and I've got to abide in you. So throughout his time with the disciples, Jesus had modeled this life that he wanted them to live. That was the role of a rabbi with his students, and not just teachings, but this whole different way of life. And as we look throughout the gospels, the time while Jesus was with his disciples, what we see him model is that he lived a life where he was completely dependent on his father. He says things like, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And it wasn't something that just happened either, just because he was the son of God. Even though he said things like, I and the father are one, the disciples were constantly waking up and they were realizing that Jesus was gone because he had either, either got up early or he stayed up all night spending time alone with his father. So much so that the disciples, they even asked him how to pray. And that's what he wanted the whole time. He wanted the life that he lived with his father to be the very thing that the disciples desired. A life where they weren't dependent on their own strength or their own abilities, but a life where they knew apart from him, they could do nothing. I get the privilege of, of meeting with lots of different um, students in our community throughout the week. And you can ask any of them what my number one question it usually is. It's, how's your time with Jesus been? And often, if they haven't been spending time with Jesus, hopefully in a rather gentle way, I'm like, yeah, that's probably why your life's falling apart a little bit, because you haven't been spending time with Jesus. So we take the rest of the time to either strategize how they're gonna make time for him, or we do it right then and there. We spend time with Jesus together. Because quite frankly, any time that they spend with me, it's gonna pale in comparison to the time that they could be spending with Jesus, right? And I get pushback from it from time to time. I get told it's legalistic or they just have too much on their plate in this season. And to that first point of it being legalistic, I guess I just don't see how we consider making a priority to regularly spend time with the one who created us, who saved us, who gave everything for us and is on the edge of his seat waiting to spend time with us legalistic. Like if we say we wanna have a passion for Jesus, Everyone is disciplined about the things that they're passionate about. 
Gold medal Olympians aren't just passionate about their sport, they're disciplined about it too. Musicians aren't just passionate about their music, they're disciplined about it. And I use those examples because the passion and the discipline, they have to come together, not just one or another. And I'm not trying to communicate some kind of workspace thing. Andrew Murray was a famous Christian author, a missionary and a pastor of several churches in South Africa. And he was known for the hours and that he spent in the secret place with God. He was in an interview once and they asked him, Andrew, how can you afford to spend so much time with God when you have so much on your plate? And his answer was simply, with so much on my plate, how can I afford not to? And to put it in more relational terms, I think I'd be a jerk of a husband if I told my wife I loved her and was passionate about her without actually spending any intentional one-on-one time with her. Right? And my goal, it's not to shame us and to make us feel guilty enough to now go spend time with Jesus. I just don't want us to miss out. I don't want us to miss out on life and life to the full with Jesus because life and life to the full with him, it's intentionally cultivated in the secret place with him. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. God wants us to get alone with him. It isn't to try to read a certain amount of scripture or pray a certain amount of prayers. That's where we want to refrain from getting legalistic, right? But the goal is just for us to be with him. And spiritual disciplines like reading scripture, prayer, and different forms of worship, they can be helpful, but only if they help us get to the goal and they're not the goal itself. Only when they help us get to the goal of being with him. If they ever become the goal itself, then that's when we're, we're missing it and things get legalistic. So, so personally, my time with Jesus looks different every day, but it centers around three ways of encountering Jesus. One through worship, another through word, and another through prayer. Worship, word, and prayer. So I wake up and I get my coffee, I grab my Bible and my journal, and I'm also very intentional to not grab my phone. You don't have to do this. This is just what I do. Um, but it, or if I do grab my phone, I put it on airplane mode um, and I use it only to listen to worship music because I know that the moment I'm on my phone is the moment that any folks' attention that I could have given to Jesus, it becomes focused on checking texts, emails, ESPN, you name it, you know what I'm talking about. And usually I, I just start by just thanking the Lord or maybe reading a psalm out loud or after I drink coffee and I still don't have a ton of energy, I throw on some worship music and then finally, once my soul's awake, I come and read the Gospels or maybe a story in the Old Testament and with the goal of not just trying to learn a bunch of information, but with a goal of encountering him in his word, because that's what he has for us. So I read it slowly, and I ask myself questions like, what is this really saying about God? And, and how do I actually live differently because of it? And then I'll go on and I'll get to my favorite part where I pray. And it's not just a list that I bring to God, but it's more relational than that. It's where I take the time to ask him what's on his heart for me to pray about today. And as he brings things to mind, I'll partner with him and I'll pray for those things. It's praying for his kingdom to actually come and his will to actually be done, not just what I would desire to happen. And then I take some time at the end, and this is really where it's all pointing to in my favorite part. If you don't do this, I highly encourage you to do it. And my wife, Sash, talked about it a little bit last week, but it's a form of prayer that we call listening prayer. And where I grab my journal and a pen, and I just ask God, what are you saying about me? And I just start to write it down. I ask him what he loves about me. It's super helpful to ask him questions. And what he wants to tell me today that I really need to know. And sometimes he tells me how proud of me he is, most of the times, that's what it is. Or it convicts me gently and kindly. That happens a lot too. I'm a very messy person. Or he reveals lies that I'm believing about myself or about him, and he helps me to work through those. And some days, that's the whole thing. That's what I do for the whole time. Or some days, it's all worship. Like the whole time, one worship song is really getting my attention, and I'm encountering Jesus in it. So I stay there. Or some days it's, it's one passage of scripture or one line of scripture that I'm encountering him in and it's, it's renewing and it's transforming my mind. So I stay there. Or it's all prayer because that's where the spirit is leading. Because the goal of it isn't to check off a box, but it's to live the life that Jesus modeled where he was in constant connection with the father. 
And it wasn't just one time in the morning or late at night where he plugs in in that place of solitude and then he unplugs later, but it was constant connection and communion with his father. But to get there, we have to get alone with him first. So we actually know what he's like and recognize his presence when we're going about our day. Brother Lawrence, the author of Practicing the Presence of God, when he was talking about um, constant connection with God, he, he said it this way, those only can comprehend it who practice and experience in it. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. We can only know what he's like and live the life he offers if we practice and experience being with him. Um, my noni, that's my Italian grandmother, she makes the most amazing pasta sauce in the world. It, it takes 11 different spices and six hours to make. And even before that, this is kind of weird, but we as a family go up into the mountains in August, right after the summer rain, and we go and we pick up random wild mushrooms that we find. Um, and then we take them home and we dry them out um, in the cellar of my noni's house. And, and people, they always try to ask me how Italian I am, like they want me to prove it. And then I'm like, well, let me tell you about the pasta sauce process. Um, and, and this pasta, it's, it's so unbelievable. It's so good. Like I get personally offended when people tell me um, that some Italian restaurant has the best sauce in the world or has the best food in the world because it's just not true. It's second best. And the thing is, I can't recreate the sauce that my noni makes. Like even when um, we, we try to, it's never as good as she actually makes it. Like you just have to taste and see it yourself. And when you do, you're like, yep, nothing, nothing else compares with this. And that's what it's like when spending time with the Lord. You, you have to taste and see it yourself. Sermons, church services, you know, all the things we do, they just become like this secondhand thing. It doesn't even compare to encountering the Lord one-on-one, -on -one, just you and him. And the best part is that we don't have to spend six hours trying to get his attention, making sure we have the right ingredients or the right formula because he's already made a way for us to come to him, right? By the power of the cross. And as, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He's on the edge of his seat. I can't stress this enough. He's on the edge of his seat, wanting to encounter us, waiting for us to meet with him. And as we do, as we taste and see who he really is, and we start to recognize that there's nothing else better, everything that we crave and everything that we desire is satisfied in him to where spending time with him is no longer just this religious duty type thing, but it's a joy that we actually look forward to in the mornings. And then it overflows in the rest of our day, where our life with Jesus is no longer about trying to manage sin because we've tasted and seen the real thing and that cheap stuff no longer has its shiny luster or its allure. And even better in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. As we spend time with him, as we behold him and we get to know him more, you become more and more like him because we become like what we behold. When I was younger, I had this neighbor across the street that I looked up to a lot. Um, his name is Trevor. He was nine and I was five. And so a couple of years older than me, enough to look up to. Um, and I thought that he was the coolest person ever. He was really good at soccer. So I started to get really into soccer. He was really into Pokemon. So I got really into Pokemon. And before you write me off, I got a lot of sweet limited edition cards that are now worth a lot of money today. And I still got a beautiful girl to marry me. So I'm doing something right. The Lord redeems and he restores. But... Anyways, my, whatever my friend Trevor did, I wanted to do. I wanted to be like Trevor, and I even wanted to look like Trevor. And now, the problem was that Trevor had a really long rat tail for a haircut that went down past his shoulders, um, and I wanted one so bad that one night I was eating dinner at his house, and I'm almost done you know, eating my grilled cheese, and Trevor notices that I took off my crust and I didn't eat them. So he messes with me in classic um, Trevor-like fashion and began to tell me that the only way that you can grow a rat tail is by eating your crust and drinking lots of coffee. <laughs> My coffee addiction definitely started. The crust thing never really took off. And luckily, the rat tail thing didn't either. If Pokemon cards weren't a deal breaker for my wife, a rat tail probably would be. So praise God. But the point is, we long to be like those we look up to. 
And the more we spend time with them, the more we actually do become like them. But is that it? Is that where it stops? Where we just spend time with God in the morning and then we become this super Christian that automatically looks like Jesus and no longer has any fleshly desires? I wish it looked like that way. But I used to use this one example quite a bit um, when I talked about kind of this, this process of being formed in the image of Christ, right? Our spiritual formation um, and the way that we actually become like him. Um, when the artist Michelangelo made his famous marble sculpture of David, um, they asked him how he did it. And he said, well, I already saw David in the block of marble, so I just chipped away that everything that wasn't him. And it's a beautiful picture, right? Where God has already formed us into his image and knows um, how he's redeeming us and transforming us into a new creation, which is absolutely true. And that's the beauty of the gospel. We're created in the image of God, but because of the fall, that image was tainted. But now through Christ, we're being transformed into his image instead, praise God. And we don't have to strive for it or work for it. It's just our inheritance as sons and daughters of the King. Yes, that's true. But what if we don't actually start off as a blank slab or a blank marble or, or a blank canvas? Right? What if we're actually sculpted into something else already? What if the things that we're giving our attention to, the hurts and the pains of life, our family of origin, the past choices we've made have formed us as well? And what if the world around us that we're constantly immersed in is shaping us all the time? Like it's not just this magic formula where we abide in Christ and there's no pruning that needs to take place. The Holy Spirit is constantly sanctifying us. But the reality is that when we live life with Jesus, we're going to experience some resistance. And I'm not even talking about the kind of resistance where you know we have friends and family leave us because we're following Jesus. That is hard. But I'm also just talking about the normal everyday resistance that we experience as we're trying to be transformed into his image. Because the world that we live in from the moment that we make up is trying to form us. It's trying to bend us into its image. It's trying to sculpt us. It's like a formation machine from the moment that we make up. It's why Paul says in, in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind because we need it. We need that transformation. And, and we're gonna be conformed into the pattern of this world if we let it. It's constantly it's relentlessly bending us into its image. And I'm not trying to paint this like us versus them picture either, where we go to the world, go to war with the world out there and we just huddle up in here. I'm just pointing out that if, if we don't have great intentionality, we'll miss it and we'll be formed into it. It's like, it's not an if, it's a when. The life we live as followers of Jesus, a life with him, it's not a passive thing. It takes effort. And I recognize that us trying really hard isn't gonna get us anywhere without the spirit of God, right? Willpower can only get us so far and white knuckling, it will only make us look like whitewashed tombs, right? Where we're dead on the, outside, dead on the inside and clean on the outside. But, but the life that, that Jesus invites us into, it's not opposed to us putting in effort and collaborating with God. A transformation is absolutely a result of his grace but I love the famous Dallas Willard quote, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. Us being formed into the image of Christ, us looking like and becoming more like Jesus doesn't just happen one day. It's a process of formation, a process of discipleship where we're gonna experience resistance. And that's why we as a college ministry are committed to it. It's, it's why we do this right here. It's why we do Awaken. It's, it's where we come together and we seek Jesus. We behold him in the, the place of worship, expectant for his presence to come and, and transform us. And then we sit under biblical teaching that renews our minds, that where we're, we're just worn out and need to detox from all the different noises and false narratives that we hear all day long from the culture around us. And it's also why we do life groups. They're not just another activity to keep us busy, but they're a time for us to come together and as a family, pursue becoming more like Jesus. Mark Scandretti, a spiritual formation director, you can think like a life coach, but for your discipleship to Jesus, right? He started this thing called the Jesus Dojo. And really the purpose of it was to show that the way we become more Christ-like isn't necessarily by sitting under a bunch of different teachings or listening to a bunch of podcasts, but it's by putting the teachings of Jesus into practice together as a community. 
So following Jesus together as a community should look less like a lecture hall and more like a martial arts studio where we come and we learn from the teachings of Jesus together and then we immediately try to live them out. So we found that the most effective way to say, maybe teach people how to pray, for example, was to see what Jesus says about prayer in the Bible and then we would do it together as a community. Or maybe something like forgiveness. Well, then we would see what Jesus says about forgiveness in the Bible, and then we'd help one another walk it out right then and there. Not later in the week, right? Not just like, oh yeah, come back and report back next week, but we would do it together. And this wasn't just something that he came up with on his own, but it came from the teachings of Jesus himself, where he tells us if we wanna live a life with a good foundation, if we, if we wanna make it as we follow him, then we have to put his words into practice. So that's what we do in life group. The goal of our life groups are for you to be formed into the image of Christ. And we do that by inviting the presence of God because he's he's actually the only one that can really change us, right? And we read the word to renew our mind and show us how to really live. And then we just try it out. And I really do mean that we, we try it out. We're not looking for perfection, but just dependence on Jesus because that's what he's looking for. I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it. He, he calls it long obedience in the same direction. It's a long haul thing. We can't just microwave becoming more Christ-like. It's a slow burn process. It's not like the instant digital picture images that we have now, but it's where he forms us slowly in the hidden places like the old film development process. And the best part about this process is that he didn't leave us to figure it out on our own, right? He gave us himself and he also gave us each other because that's what life in the kingdom of God is. That's what life and life for the fool is. That's what life with him is like. It's where we're in it together, where we don't have to go it alone, but we have family to lean on. We have one another. And maybe you actually haven't experienced that yet. Maybe you've had to go it alone and you don't feel like you actually have that family. But I wanna tell you, if you don't have it and you want it, then you truly do have one in us. So shameless plug, come to Life Group. We meet on Tuesdays and Wednesdays on GCU's campus and you'll always have a place there. And maybe that's a little scary because you've been hurt before and I can't promise that we won't hurt you as well. We're all people who are in process. We're all messy, but we'll stay. We won't bow out when it gets hard but we'll seek to reconcile as the family of God should. And in order for us to become who God really wants us to be, we have to do it together. There isn't another way. A friend of mine um, would say it this way, a lone ranger is a dead ranger. The best way to be formed into the image of this world, the best way to be an easy target for the enemy is to try and do it alone. So don't do it alone. Press into community because we need each other. And in a similar vein, the biggest mistake that I've seen when it comes to following Jesus is when it becomes this self-focused thing where we're just trying to better ourselves. And when that happens, we're completely missing it. Uh, Robert Mulholland defines spiritual formation like this. It's the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. It's for the sake of others. Following Jesus, life with Jesus, isn't about what we get out of it, though there are lots of benefits to it. When we choose to follow Jesus, we choose not to live for ourselves anymore, but to live for him and to live for others. In 1 John 3.16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And Jesus also says himself in the gospels, there's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. As Jesus invites us to live with him and become like him, he invites us to live the sacrificial life that he lived a life where he wasn't in it for his own glory or his own gain, but a life where he lived for the sake of his father and for the sake of others. A life where we're in it for him and we're in it for them and it's at our own expense. That means denying ourselves, choosing humility and selflessness. And it also means that as God has freely given to us, we freely give away to others. 
Uh, this past spring break, we went on a mission trip to Chula Vista, and I was leading a teaching one morning or helping out at team time. And I was trying to explain this concept to everyone that, you know, where we're called to overflow and not just um, soak in all that God has for us, but never give it away. And I, I use the classic analogy that our associate pastor uses and where he, he says, we're called to be a flowing river and not just like this spiritual jacuzzi that we just soak in. And, and I guess it was like this prophetic moment because the night before they had all stuffed in the hotel hot tub. And apparently it was like very nasty water that they were all just sitting in. So from now on, the analogy that I'm using is we're called to be outward flowing rivers of life and not just nasty, cheap hotel hot tubs. Amen, <laughs> Amen right? Come on. If you don't get anything else out of tonight, that's what I want you to get. <laughs> and the life, what, and that was the life that Jesus modeled us, right? He, he was constantly telling others about the good news of the kingdom. He, he was healing the sick, driving out demons, caring for those on the outcast of society, and providing for those in need, even when it made him really tired. We see that in the Gospels. And that's what we're called to as well. Jesus has so much life to give us. And absolutely, it's because he loves us and cares for us, but it's also so that we'll give it away, right? Whatever he's doing in you, he wants to do through you as well. But what does that look like? Does that look like just going out in our own strength, trying to do all these things for God? No, it's a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, a life where we let the Holy Spirit lead us into things that we never thought were possible. That's the life that Jesus lived, where he only did what his father told him to do. And he operated with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he actually invites us into that as well. In John 14, verse 12, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. John Wimber, one of my personal heroes, was this amazing pastor and man of God. He, he was actually the founder of the Vineyard Mo Movement. If you're familiar with it, it's this movement of tons of really awesome um, churches. And, and he's the one who coined the phrase, doing the stuff. It, he came to faith when he was 29 years old. And he had no religious background whatsoever. So when he got his hands on a Bible, he was completely blown away. And he starts asking everybody in church, like, have you read this? And they're like, yeah, we've read it. It's, it's the Bible. He was like, great, so when do we actually start doing the stuff that's in here? Like he was genuinely under the impression that when churches meet, they come together, they divvy up the land, and they go out and they heal the sick, they prophesy, they cast out demons, you know, all the stuff that Jesus did. And the pastors were like, oh no, we don't actually do that stuff. We read about it and we talk about it, but we don't do it. And he's like, so, so we sing about it, we preach about it, but we never actually do it. He's like, oh, well, when I was a friend of the devil, he let me do his stuff. And now I'm a friend of Jesus. How can you won't let me do the stuff that Jesus did? So he just started doing the stuff that Jesus did. And that partnered with the power of the Holy Spirit led to this whole movement of churches and thousands of transformed lives. Like there's so many people that can trace their lives back to their church movements, back to the vineyard movement. And what John Wimber did is just saying, I'm signing up to do the Jesus stuff. And that's what God's looking for. He's not just looking for people who'll spend time with him or become like him. He's looking for people who are excited to go and do the work of the kingdom, to share the gospel, pray for the sick, to prophesy, to cast out demons, you name it. That is the life that Jesus is calling us to. That's life and life to the full in the kingdom of God. And I wanna say this with a lot of gentleness and humility, so please hear me here. But if you feel like you're bored in your faith and that you're not growing, it's probably because you're not doing the stuff. So I say that actually as an invitation. Like, come and do the stuff with us. That's what we want to be about as a community. Uh, but how do we do the stuff? What's, what's the formula or the process? And I hate to be a resounding gong, right? But it's not about a formula, and it's not about a process. It's about doing it with him, and it's about a life of faith, so I love looking to none other than the life of Paul himself. Uh, so like you, you look at different examples of people um, in the gospels or um, just in scripture in general, and, and Paul was a man who did the stuff, right? A man that was empowered by the Holy Spirit and who lived this life of faith that we're talking about. And so you can turn with me to the first part of Colossians 4, um, and we're gonna be reading in Colossians 4, verses two through five. Picking up um, in verse two, 
it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should and be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Um, over the past six years, I've given the majority of my summers um, to mission trips overseas. And over there, it just kind of feels like stuff like this happens, right? Life just happens this way. You get to, to pray for the sick and see them healed. You get to share the gospel and see people come to see Jesus. You see people delivered from addictions and from being demonically oppressed. Uh, but my desire is that that wouldn't just be an overseas missionary thing, but that would be life with Jesus that we experience here and now in every season. So I gave Jesus this past summer to do just that. I, I joined the community center near my house and where I would go and work out or play basketball. And I just started to pray for my neighborhood and ask God to break my heart for it. And I began to see a move. I devoted myself to prayer, like this passage says, right? And I asked God to open up doors of opportunity for me, like this passage says as well. And I watched him do that very thing. I'd run over to the community center and just started meeting with people where I would either pray for them, I would share my testimony or share the gospel with them. And sometimes, to be honest, there'd be really weird things that would happen where they'd tell me to pray for them because, you know, they're the creator of the universe. So I'd like pray for them, a little sneaky prayer. I'd be like, Jesus, I pray that they love you and that they would also know that you're Lord and that they're not. And then I would run away really fast. And then there were other times where I'd ask the spirit, okay, where are you already working in this moment and, and how can I partner with you? And I'd hear his still small voice, as light as a feather, just, you know, that, that gentle little inclination where if you don't actually lean in, you'll miss it. And I'd hear him say, son, son, go, go talk to that guy over there or go pray for him. And I would start to do that and I'd see him move. I met a guy who had recently given his life to Jesus, but had only gotten out of prison a month ago after spending 10 years in incarceration. So I prayed for him and I shared my testimony with him and this friendship started where we met up and we read the Bible. He'd call me together and we'd pray together and I would get to hear the updates of his life where he was actually the, the first guy in his program of being going from prison to homelessness to being in this shelter to make it out as fast as he did. And he would give me all these updates and tell me all these things. And he would always say, like, he'd point back to that moment where I met him at the park. And he'd be like, in that moment, I knew that God was with me and that he was for me. That was the encouragement I needed. See, see, when we give our lives to living life with Jesus, we get to live with him, right? And we get to see him work through us to those around us. That's why we do this stuff. Not because we just wanna see cool stuff happens or so we can be the hero, right? But because God wants us to partner with him and seeing his kingdom come in the lives of those around us. And there's this other guy at the gym who he like knows that I'm the guy that prays for people. So he's had me pray for lots of different things, right? Like he has this bad back and he'll be like, Chris, like I need you to, to pray for me to see my back healed. Or um, it, when, you know, he's, he's feeling like um, these attacks from the enemy, he'll have me go and pray for him. And, and the point is, as I've, as I've been faithful to lean into the voice of God, more opportunities have come because he can just trust me with them, right? He knows that I'm one that's gonna respond. Right, we've gotta be faithful to steward what he's asking us to do. All I had to do was just seek him and ask him what he's already doing and how he's already moving, right? God doesn't need us to accomplish things for his kingdom. It's not about us being the hero. He's already got it covered and is moving powerfully already all around us. But he wants to use us and he wants to move through us. The question is, will we let him? But what if we fall on our face and we look like a fool? Or what if we don't see anything happen in the first couple times or in the first 20 times? What if he asks us to do something that requires us to trust in his abilities, not our own? And I think the life that Jesus invites us into isn't one where we get to control the results. In fact, it's actually a life that's free of control altogether. 
In Ezekiel chapter 47, there's this beautiful passage of scripture where the prophet Ezekiel is taken to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And he starts to see water flowing from the threshold of the temple. Uh, this water um, starts, uh, this water turns into this beautiful river that gives life to the seas, right? Life to the creatures all around it. And the trees that are around it, they, they never wither. It represents the life-giving water that Jesus talks about. It represents the Holy Spirit. And this man in Ezekiel's vision starts to measure off a thousand cubits of length, one after another. And each time he does, he invites Ezekiel to come deeper and deeper into the river. Uh, first he's ankle deep, then he's knee deep, then he's waist deep. Then the river gets to this point that it's too deep to stand. And the only way forward is to swim and to be completely submerged and completely out of control, completely surrendered to the river of the Holy Spirit. And that's the life that he invites us into. A life where we're not just ankle deep and getting by. You know, we just have enough to have our feet in so that it counts, but we remain planted in the same place that we've always been. We're knee deep, or waist deep, or we're definitely in the water, but there's still parts of us that we're holding back because we're either afraid of where he'll take us so we wanna remain in some sort of control of our lives, or there's a life that we're actually called to, the life where we're completely submerged, the life where the Holy Spirit has complete access to us because everything's on the table before him, where our whole lives are surrendered, where we're not in it for ourselves anymore, but we're in it for him and we're in it for those around us, whatever the cost, whatever it looks like. So you stand with me as we head into a time of response. And as always, uh, we're gonna have a ministry team up front who would love to pray for you in any way that you need. But tonight, I believe that the invitation from him is clear. The life he invites us to live with him is not a life of ankle deep, of knee deep, or of waist deep, but a life where we're completely submerged. That's what a life with him looks like. He sent the Holy Spirit to come be with us now. So would we just surrender to it and let him have his way completely with us? And I know that that might seem like kind of a paradox, right? Like our series is on being anchored in but that's what being anchored into Jesus look like, looks like. It's a life where we're no longer anchored into our own way of life, our own way of doing things, but we're anchored into him no matter what it means, fully free in his presence. And tonight, we just wanna make space for that. So I'm gonna pray, and then I wanna just invite you guys to come forward and just have, let this be a moment where we're saying, God, I want the life where, where you're in control and I'm not. So Holy Spirit, we love you. God, you, you are worthy. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of everything that we have. God, will we not hold anything back tonight, God? And, and would you just release your spirit in this place? We say, come and move, Holy Spirit. We need you. You're what we came for. You're who we came for, God. We want you. Would you come and would you rest on us tonight, God? Would you come and would you fill us afresh, God? It would every place that we're, we're holding back, every place that's, that's keeping us from a life that's actually lived with you, life and life to the full, would it be done tonight, God, no matter what it looks like, even if it's hard, God, even if it's something that we have to give up, God, would we know that it pales in comparison to you? So would you fix our eyes on, on you right now, God? Would our eyes be fixed on you, Jesus? And would you come and move, Holy Spirit? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I just wanna invite you to come forward if you feel like God is, is calling you to, to just greater depths of surrender. If you've been ankle deep, if you've been even to the point of knee deep, but he's asking you for just full submersion, just take that leap of faith tonight. And I also just wanna invite you if you're like, hey, I just showed up to this thing and even spending time with Jesus is hard for me. Well, just come forward. And us as a college ministry, we'll be here and we'll have a ministry team up front that can pray for you. But don't leave this moment without responding to God.